is Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny on the Revelations Radio Network. podcasting to you from the soggy forest of Meadowdale, Washington, where I am hoping I have finished digging a trench in my yard for the last time. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Tim Kilkenny. And from Cascade Locks, Oregon, where I have almost survived the Ides of March, I'm Andrew Hoffman. The Ides of March. And then also on the call, we actually have a special guest, someone that we have not had on the show for a long time, but has been a special guest, I think three times or more back all the way back to show number 66 of Revelations Radio News. And that is the one and only James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Hey, Tim Kilkenny. Uh, short time, no speak. I hope you're doing well today. It's good to talk to you again. And Andrew Hoffman, you old son of a gun. How the hell are you doing? Or as you say in your elvish tongue. Which, of course, as you know, but I'll just say for the benefit of the listeners, means Andrew Hoffman, you old son of a gun. How the hell are you doing? <laughs> Breaking out the Elvish in minute one. All right. <laughs> Actually, to be honest, that's Irish. That's the only bit of Gaelic I picked up in my time in Ireland. But uh... <laughs> oh, well, well, you know, I, I believe uh, Tolkien said that, you know, there was a, a relationship between the Gaelic and the, the Elvish tongue there. I, so. I hear it. My my son yesterday started breaking out with just nonsense gibberish. And so I said, you know, actually, you know, there are people who did that for like a living and actually yeah. made an entire story about it. And I showed him a little clip of uh, Tolkien and speaking Elvish. And he was yeah. just like, oh, yeah, I understand it. I understand parts of it. <laughs> invent your own language and then invent the world that goes with it. C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, two of the uh, two of the awesome writers of the 20th century uh kind of interesting how they weaved so much different stuff into their into their uh, their writings including different languages and whatnot it was like a i think they were trying to inform others but also just have a lot of fun and this is the point where i have to admit i've only read one slim uh, volume of c.s lewis and it wasn't the one that anyone recommends because it wasn't particularly good and uh tolkien i've i've cracked lord of the rings but still haven't finished it <laughs> from our conversation several years ago andrew <laughs> well it's uh i'm i'm actually about halfway through reading it to my my seven-year-old so oh awesome kind of my... yeah i've been thinking about br- breaking my seven-year-old into the hobbit but i i didn't think about jumping right into lord of the rings well, we, we did The Hobbit first, so this has been a long... Um, there, there's been some fits and starts, but it's been a, overall received pretty well. So her the deal is she gets to watch the movies after we finish yeah. the book. So. Yeah. Do, you, do you sing all the songs? Uh, no. no. <laughs> In fact, I sometimes skip large portions of the song. Yeah, that's the part that I'm not looking forward to when we do get to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> It's like it, no, you just edit it. Uh, you know, there, there's some older versions of English words in there that I don't really feel like explaining. Like, here's what it me- meant then, and here's what it means now. So I just kind of on the fly translate a bit. But 
You know what, guys? I'm just happy that I was able to bring a little bit of literary geek uh, energy to the beginning of this podcast, as opposed to the endless iterations of the discussion of Pacific Northwest climate and local <laughs> local sports teams. Hey, how are the Seahawks doing today, guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of I mean, that's part of the magic of the show is that <laughs> even though Andrew and I are, you know, good friends, we don't actually talk other than the podcast. So pretty much what you hear is us just kind of chatting with each other. Yes, it we, does come through and I appreciate it. I, 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 even though it <laughs> sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I need to know the weather in Oregon today. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We take a uh, niche audience and <laughs> and try to find the the niche of a niche of a niche that still knows what we're talking about. That's the goal. So. That'll that'll make a lot of money. Whoever's yeah. left must really like the podcast. I think <laughs> precisely. Yeah, those those that are left really enjoy it. <laughs> so all right, well, I've got some questions for Corbett here. I don't oh. know about you, Tim, but. Firing straight off. I'm I'm interested. Let's let's do this. There's really no rhyme or reason. I think the three of us can figure this out. So, okay. Well, this is. Um, so I'm. I'm curious, kind of on the overall kind of mood in Japan, um, especially kind of a geopolitical attitude there, uh, attitude towards China, kind of the. You know, is there worry about escalating tensions either uh, directly with China or they're worried about, um, you know, China and other countries? Is there any of that going on or are people just kind of not not at all worried about it? Oh, people are being told to worry about it, at least. I don't know if I hear people in their day-to-day lives worrying about it, but it certainly is a topic in the news. One of the latest headlines, China says it is exercising self-restraint against Japanese ships near Senkakus, which is a island chain that uh, is disputed territory, shall we say, in the mm-hmm. East China Sea. So um, there is this tension. It has been here for years. It certainly isn't going away. If anything, I suppose it is increasing. There's definitely... Just on the broad sense, there's that kind of unease of China and its growing maritime slash military might and what that means for Japan and its relationship, Japan's relationship to the U.S., for example, under the U.S. security umbrella that was kind of thrown into a bit of chaos in the last four or five years of President Trump. And then so what does that mean for Japan? And should Japan be altering its constitution to become a country that actually can have a military force again, although, of course, they do have one. They just call it a self-defense force. But mm. as people may or may not know, the uh, the Constitution, which is drafted up under American the American administration post-war, actually forbids Japan from having a standing army, um, at least theoretically. So uh, Japan has seen itself as a very pacifist nation. At least that's the way people like to think of themselves since the end of mm-hmm. World War II. But I think that's being tested right now. And there's definitely that kind of you know, rising China, what are we going to do about it sort of thing. And I've, I see that, in fact, Biden is picking up on something that uh, Trump was apparently starting, which was called the the Quad, which was, I believe, um, let me get this straight. It was Japan, India, U.S. and Australia, I believe, was the fourth member of the Quad, which is meant to be some sort of regional bulwark against China. And they, they're, they're going to have deeper cooperation and essentially kind of 
I don't know if it's anti-bricks per se, but that kind of idea that that these four will make up a type of grouping that will then start to have a deeper relationship in various ways. And and one of the most important things is you don't call it the Asia Pacific anymore. No, no, no. Now in U.S. diploma diploma speak, it's the Indo Pacific. So mm. they're trying to push this kind of idea. It's definitely in the zeitgeist right now. That is very interesting because um, one of the Trump foreign policy guys was Pompeo and he I mean he's been around forever he he seemed to be one of the main like uh, war with China pushers you know stopping just short of of pushing for open warfare but definitely kind of the hey ch- you know China's the real enemy um, you know, part of the, the Trump administration framing of Joe Biden was um, as compromised by China, which there's definitely evidence of that. Um, but at the same time, you know, those of us kind of caught in the middle, it's like, well, we don't want war with China. And we'd rather not have China and the CCP controlling <laughs> controlling our media, controlling our politicians, and um, you know, pandemic response and everything else. So, um, th- yeah, that's that's kind of interesting because one thing you know, you went to Japan to teach English and and have stayed how many years now? Uh, this is, well, I went here for one year. This is now 17, (laughs) 17. So I, I went for, uh, one year to South Korea and stayed for 15 months. So not, not quite on the same scale, but, uh, one kind of interesting perspective I found staying there, um, was that people in South Korea were far less worried about North Korea Mm. than people in the U S were. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that and, sounds about right. And there's, it was just kind of like, oh, you know, eh, it's up there, it's crazy. But uh, I did have someone tell me, you know, we used to really want reunification, but we kind of see what's going on there now, and we're kind of like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Mm. Maybe just they're they're kind of happy with the the status quo, and definitely think they got the better end of the the deal. Yeah. When that status quo ends, it's no doubt going to be extremely chaotic and um, maybe that's part of the plan but yes how does North Korea collapse I mean not when or if but how does it go about collapsing and what does that look like and does China step in but if China tries to step in to try to you know whatever bolster or take refugees or whatever it is then then the US probably will try to frame that as a as some sort of regional security threat and does that start escalating military tensions again and all of that kind of stuff it's Yeah, it's a hairy situation. And I just hope people can and will. Well, I hope they will go back to my China and the New World Order podcast from several years ago now, where I kind of laid out the bigger overview picture of the history of the U.S.-China frenemy relationship. (laughs) And um, and then follow that up with my echoes of World War One speech that I gave in Denmark a few years ago, um, which I think. It, it, th- that's a theme that I, I definitely will be returning to. It is extremely important and only more important as this China, t- uh, as the enemy talk kind of ramps up. We have to keep it in the perspective of engineered conflict um, like World War One. And I'll let you guys in on a secret just for you and me and your podcast audience. <laughs> um, 
obviously I did the World War One conspiracy, and obviously that ended with to be continued dot 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 because from the very inception of the that documentary that idea for it, I always planned that to be a trilogy. The first part would be the World War One conspiracy. The second part, I will let you imagine what the second part will be about, and the third World part. World War Two. <laughs> and the third part will be about uh, the next world war, world exactly. war three, world war three, <laughs> perhaps. Yes. And, yeah. and seeing the historical continuity of the, the exact same thing happening over and over bankers building up both sides in order to engineer a conflict that they then steer towards a new world order, a league of nations, a United nations, uh, whatever comes after world war three, there absolutely is uh, historical continuity there. And I, I've had this idea of doing this in a documentary format for years now. In fact, it was 19, uh, 2014 that I wanted, I originally wanted to do the world war one conspiracy, the hundredth anniversary of the start of the war. Well, I finally got it done on the hundredth anniversary of the end of the war in 2018. <laughs> um, and then the next part, the second part of that, that series I was going to do last year until last year became 2020. And then obviously that got right. derailed. I really hope I can get back to that because I wish that part two and part three of that documentary series was already out because it would be extremely relevant to put what's happening right now into context and to help people hopefully not start warmongering for the warmongers and being part of what is going to be a headlong rush into an engineered conflict that, spoiler, is not going to work out well for the mass of humanity. Right. That's that's exactly right. And actually on my uh, nightstand as we speak um, is a, a book from the James Corbett list of recommended books to read uh, wall street and the rise of hitler and uh it's amazing the documented mm. connections there mm -hmm. of american companies and american banks and um what they were doing in in some cases let's see was it i believe general electric uh was using their operations over in Germany to funnel money directly to Hitler, like directly into his, you know, the Fuhrer's bank account before he was a total dictator. Meanwhile, their competitor was not giving money to Hitler. Their native German competitor was not, mm -hmm. was not funding Hitler. So it's, um, you know, and when you really get into it and, and even down to what factories were being bombed and which mm -hmm. factories were yeah. not being bombed and what their, you know, who was funding that. And uh, yeah, the, there's such a story there that un unfortunately few people know it's all documented there in works like that one, but right. we really need to get that out to more people. So they understand the bigger, the bigger picture of this and then can place that in the context of what's happening right now. Oh, China suddenly this big military, economic, geopolitical juggernaut. How did that happen? Hmm. How, how did that happen? And, you know, the ties between American corporations and Wall Street and pre-World War II German companies, you know, very extensive, but absolutely pale in comparison with American Fortune 100 companies in China. Yeah. I mean, you cannot find a, a mega corporation in the U.S. that is not heavily involved in China, whether it's using them for manufacturing, um, you know, that's that's the, the main source, or just as a major market like 
Hollywood or, or anything else. But um, yeah, definitely something <laughs> to keep an eye on because um, it'll be interesting to see how we're sold uh, the war war propaganda after being fed the um you don't have to worry about those guys you know it's good good business oh it's good for you to have all your jobs uh sent over to china that's exactly right and and uh let me add another thing to the research list for people who are interested in this subject it's an article i wrote seven years ago now the great decoupling how the west is engineering its own downfall where i talked specifically about this the chinese industrial juggernaut did not just spring up overnight the infrastructure for china's economic marvel of the last decade was laid in the decade before in the seven years from 1994 to 2001 alone direct investment of u.s-based multinational corporations in china quadrupled from 2.6 billion to 10.5 billion dollars in the same time period china rose from the 30th largest target of U.S. R&D investment to the 11th on the back of a doubling of U.S. affiliates in the country. The list of companies that started major R&D activities or facilities in China in the 1990s reads like a who's who of the CFR-nested Fortune 500 set. DuPont, Ford, General General Electric, General Motors, IBM, Intel, Lucent Technologies, Microsoft, Motorola, and Raman Haas all had a significant stake in China by the beginning of the 21st century. And it just goes on from there. I mean, there's so much reams of data about how this was done. But then again, it's only portrayed in the nightly news as, oh, here's the new China boogeyman that came out of nowhere and they hate us for our freedoms. So everyone gets angry. Well, and besides the, you know, the corporate... Well, I, I don't know if besides is the right word, but there's the direct government involvement. You know, COVID-19 brought to you by, uh, you know, U.S. government involvement and funding for research projects in China, gain of function and, and everything else. And and maybe uh, point people, if they uh, haven't checked them out already, to your early covid stuff i mean this was you were putting stuff out that was either months ahead of anyone else or um people still haven't caught up to you for what you were putting out a year ago unfortunately so and it's again this is i i always come back to this it's not like i'm some sort of crystal ball reader or something it's just that it's it's obvious when you know where to look and i feel in a way i guess privileged to have been doing this work through the swine flu crisis because mm. that in a way was was what we are living through right now it's just that they didn't pull the trigger on it at that point and per, per, potentially because they really couldn't have i mean think about that in 2009 still almost nobody had a smartphone at that point i mean it was not a thing apps and all of this the digital immunity passports and all of the stuff they're talking about now really wouldn't have been possible until in the last few years and I think that's part of why I think I look at 2009, the swine flu pandemic hysteria as sort of the trial run, trial balloons, getting things, getting ducks in a row, testing out things like the uh, the public health emergency of international concern that was in the international health regulations of 2006 that the WHO passed and getting all the infrastructure for this in place. And so when I saw this coming, That, in a way, was an impediment to me because in the first couple of months of 2020, when I saw this kind of, you know, the the talk ramping up about this, I thought, oh, here we go again. It's going to be another swine flu, another Ebola, another Zika. 
you know, they're just they're just doing they do this every few years and they get some yeah, sort of vaccine the- development money, but it'll go away. I was obviously wrong about it'll go away. I did not expect them to pull the trigger on it. And I did not expect the reaction from the public. Um, that is really the, the most disappointing part of all of this. Yeah, it had all the earmarks of just being another virus, like the same thing that they repeated year after year after year. We're all going to die of Zika. We're all going to die of Ebola. We're all going to die of the swine flu. And it just turned into this bigger thing. Like you said, they pulled the trigger. Another thing, not just smartphones with the apps, but also uh, connected technology where, you know, in 2009, you actually probably didn't have the infrastructure in place to have kids attend school from home or to have massive amounts of the population work from home. Like that just did. It wasn't a thing like that was, you know, DSL days. Broadband was just kind of coming around, but there wasn't a strong enough connection, especially not for like massive you know video conferencing around the country so you know another yet another reason um one thing i was going to touch back on that we kind of passed over is this last year i don't know if it just felt to me more obvious but i I was kind of interested to hear both of your take on the ace it feels like it's never been more clear than the last year last uh, you know 2020 where we are under asymmetric warfare from China. China is is perpetrating asymmetric warfare on this country in like almost every facet of life. And I, I feel like it was a slow boil, you know, like, you know, slowly we got there. Even back to your work where you talked about, uh, James, where you talked about Rockefeller's quote saying that the Chinese experiment is the greatest, you know, th- accomplishment of the 20th century, which kind of, like you said, it was a kind of a waypointer that shows us, hey, this is the direction things are going. And so maybe I should have been more aware of it. But something happened in 2020 where like all the pieces fit together and it was like, oh, my gosh, everywhere I look. And I'm not saying China is the the root of all evil in the United States, but in 2020, it just became very obvious, at least to me, and I was wondering if you guys thought the same or if it was just, you know, or if it is more blatant uh, that China is kind of playing a, a major role in. It almost feels like COVID is kind of engineered to bring other countries around the world down and their economies down so that China can kind of rise from the ashes and be the de facto leader. So anyway, thoughts on that, guys? Do you think that it was more obvious last year or is it just me finally waking up and noticing that this is kind of been going on the whole time. Andrew, what do you think? Well, you know, I I think China's definitely more top of mind uh, than in the past. But this, it, it has been going on for a long time. And right. you've, uh, you know, especially the like we talked about, the integration of American corporations really aren't American corporations anymore. They're um, far more based in China. And I and I would say also, you know, CCP slash New World Order is more of the driving entity. Um, you know, Chinese people trying to make a living and like, hey, I'm making a a few bucks in a factory, it's better than starving to death. You know, it's not, obviously not their fault, but um, there's there's definitely been a, a shift, and they're not quite ready to say, like, hey, China's the enemy, time to go to war now. 
but there you can see their them laying the foundation for it. Here's the way that I I picture what's going on right now. I think we have been given on purpose, obviously, a false map of the terrain that we find ourselves on, a false playing field, as it were, for um, the game that we are being asked to play. And the way that I envision this is that we are being asked to look at this 2D board. Here's the world, and here's these nation states, and here they are warring against each other. And look, look at what the Chinese are doing in America or things along those lines. Um, But I think that is a false template. I think what we are actually playing is 3D chess. And I know this is a much abused (laughs) notion in recent years with uh, memes of Trump, the, you know, 17 dimensional chess master or whatever. But um, I think there is a reality to that that I have tried to express. In fact, I believe I first mentioned it in my China and the New World Order podcast several years ago. So I was before all the Trump meme stuff. Um, But essentially what I think is, yeah, there is this 2D board and there are these different squares and, you know, you have Team America and Team team NATO or whatever against Team Bricks. But that isn't the actual game we're playing. What we're playing is 3D chess where there are other players who are playing on different surface levels that we we're not even allowed to see. They're behind 17 layers of secrecy and classified classified documents and uh, and some of them some of the pieces of this board you can look if you really want to look at it but most people don't. They're just looking at the 2D board. But suddenly some piece will come out of out of nowhere, quote unquote. Where did that piece go? What's going on? Oh, suddenly wait, are we being attacked? Well, who's that piece? Oh, is that a white piece? Oh, is that white piece? painted black what what's going on (laughs) and it just doesn't make any sense and then suddenly the game seems to change and we're still looking at it from the 2d perspective and trying to see well what what does that move mean and i think that fundamentally misunderstands the game no no there are these other players who have access to these pieces that we don't see that are coming out of nowhere and they are the ones that are manipulating the game and the real game isn't between this square and this square on the 2d board it is between the essentially the players in this game, the 3D game versus us. And we are the pawns on the board that they're trying to move around and manipulate and motivate to go after that team or go over to this team, or they'll change the characters every, they'll change. I mean, pieces will suddenly change teams. Al Qaeda were the good guys and then they were the bad guys. And then in Syria, they became the good guys again. And you're just, you know, whatever it's, yeah, we've, we we're at war with East Asia. We've always been at war with East Asia. You're just supposed to expect, uh, accept it. And it makes no sense from the 2D perspective. The only way that makes sense is from the 3d perspective if people want sort of the overview of this i just wrote an editorial um that's probably my best encapsulation of this idea called how to play 3d chess i hope people check out yeah absolutely and and i i agree you know this is we're getting played off against each other um and there is a larger agenda and so i'll i'll throw someone out there who you've you've done a lot of research on recently um bill gates where where do you see him fitting into that kind of power power structure yeah it's a it's a good question he is clearly connected to almost every agenda that you can think of (laughs) and it boggles my mind i did a two-hour documentary on who is bill gates last year and even then all i covered really were the aspects that are directly related to the covid19 scandemic Mm -hmm. but there are all the other Things that he's engaged in from geoengineering to protein substitute, fake meat and all of this, uh, you know, the largest farmland owner in America. But it's only a tiny percentage by total, James. It doesn't matter that much, (laughs) say the naysayers. Uh, All of the different agendas that he's tied to, it is 
really mind-boggling. I continue to look at him not – again, I don't think Bill Gates is the string puller. I don't think he is the grand 3D chess master who's making all of this happen. But I do think that he is a great way for the average person who is probably has no idea that any of this is going on to look and to see that there are agendas taking place that have nothing to do with Team America or anything of that sort. Do you think Bill Gates is rah-rah USA or is Bill Gates rah-rah-rah billionaires and anything that benefits our interests? And clearly it's the, the latter. Once you start to look into it, once you get past the PR nonsense of, you know, angel, angelic Saint Saint Gates coming <laughs> in to swoop down and save the poor brown children on the other side of the world who he thinks is overpopulated. No, that's ridiculous. And when you start looking at it, no, he's clearly self-interested and he's making oodles and oodles of money from this scandemic, of course. But it's again, it's not just about money. It's about literally re-engineering humanity at a genomic level, which is mm. such a nefarious idea that most people will actively try to avoid looking at it square in the face because they don't want to consider the implications of that, that there are extremely rich, extremely powerful people who control international organizations of which we, to which we are beholden, but of which we have no part. There's no accountability, but these, 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 these become the de facto dictators of our existence, the WHO and other organizations that are setting all these guidelines that all of these countries are moving in lockstep <laughs> to use a phrase. Um, and and what do we do about this? How do we do this? It is such a mind-boggling thing to start to behold that I understand people will shy away from it and will sometimes violently react when you try to present this information to them. But once you start looking at it, and I think the best way to get a handle on that is by looking at someone like Gates. He's clearly not a player on the 2D chess board. He's clearly a 3D chess player. Another way to understand that is to look at someone. I, I often cite this. I don't recommend it as a you know, this is a great reader. This guy's going to tell you all the secrets. But David Rothkopf, who was essentially mini Kissinger, um, worked mm -hmm. for Kissinger Associates and um, uh, has been involved, I think, with um, uh, foreignpolicy.com and other things. Um, but he uh, wrote a book, I think, 12 years or 13 years ago now called Superclass, where he basically says, yeah, there are 6000 people who essentially control international relations and 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 can inter, and can uh, affect agendas across international borders they're not beholden to any national government they're not national players these are essentially globalists uh, is essentially the, the superclass yeah exactly superclass <laughs> so uh, that's i mean that's a that's a that's an admission in in the own words of one of the members of that superclass yeah we exist and we don't have anything to do with what you think the game is about no we're doing a different thing and uh, I think when we start to look at someone like Gates, we start to get an idea of what that is and the very, very dark places that that goes when you start talking about geoengineering and genetic engineering. Well, and, <laughs> you know, people, the, one of the most fundamental things to, to realize is that there's not always good guys involved, right? I mean, there's yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, when you've got, oh, the royal family is fighting with the uh, Harry and Meghan Markle. You know, are they you must on be the good, right? are you on the Meghan Markle and Oprah side, or are you yeah. on the <laughs> Queen yeah. of England side? It's like, yeah. uh, no, neither neither of those sides. Thank you. Yeah, I'd and again, I think the Gates idea is another window into that because look mm -hmm. at, I mean, you can point. And rightfully so, to the Wuhan lab and gain of function research and all of that. Absolutely. But who was 
who is funding that? Who is intimately involved with that? Well, of course, the U.S. via various agencies, including Fauci and uh, and Gates, were helping to sponsor and fund the research that was going on in Wuhan. But then it, it, when something happens there, then then it's China. It's the Chinese trying to do something to America. No, maybe it's a three dimensional chess game and right. there's there's agendas going on here. And, uh <laughs> you know, oh, we're not we're out of the WHO. We're not giving money to them, but we're giving uh, even more money to this Bill Gates sponsored organization, which is turning around and giving the money to the World Health Organization. Yes. So, and specifically uh, for people who don't know, you're referencing uh, Trump pulling out of WHO and giving billions <laughs> more to Gavi, which, as people may or may not know, is, uh, yes, a Gates co-founded organization that's about the vaccine alliance which specifically in its own material says it is about creating markets for vaccine manufacturers and oh yeah by the way saving the world or something yeah yeah or it, which you know just magically you just call something a vaccine no matter what it is and uh as long as you sell lots of them that makes the world a better place somehow yeah uh, now it I think those documentaries on, on Bill Gates and um, some of the early podcasts, just absolutely amazing stuff. Um, you know, I, I've talked to, to Tim about my uh, walking through the woods, listening to podcasts, and the, those were definitely some, t some top of the list uh, material there. So one thing, and Tim, I, I feel like I've, I'm kind of hogging the, the guest here. Do you have something? I'll let you jump in and then I'll, I'll come back no, to that you're, later. You're, no, you're fine. What do you got? So I can, I can jump in, make, make no, well, <laughs> make no worries guys. I'll interrupt one of you and start, okay, start okay. blabbering on at some point. No, go ahead. So, so I think, um, one thing with kind of the anarchist kind of libertarian philosophy, individual rights, uh, versus this vague idea that's always talked about of the collective good. And I think that at a philosophical level, it's really important that, that people figure out, um, you know, where does the value of a human life come from? Is there a value to human life? You know, I think innately we all believe there is. We all believe there's such a thing as good and evil, even if we... Um, you know, decide that there isn't when we're in, in college or what have you. I think we, we live with that reality. Um, you see kind of warped versions of it with the social justice warrior phenomenon and, and things like that. But maybe you could just talk about it from a, a big picture perspective. Where does that worth and value come from? And why is it important that it's on an individual level rather than just this kind of, oh, you know, for people in general, and you have to do this because it's good for, you know, some vague society or the country or the world or what have you. You have to, you have to wear a mask because you don't want to kill grandma. Like, yeah, that, that, yeah. that whole thing. Yeah. Well, you are so right to bring up that question because that really is the fundamental question. And I, I attempted one way of broaching that topic in a recent podcast I did on bioethics and the new eugenics. And I hope people who haven't seen or listened or read that will do so. Um, unfortunately, I think 
I, I think the real point of that w- seemed to have gone over the heads of many of the listeners from the fun- feedback I received. But really, this is a fundamental question, and it comes down to something so incredibly core to the philosophy that we're living by, which, um, broadly speaking, I think generally we have, over the past couple of centuries, been trained as a civilization to start thinking more and more in consequentialist terms, that we do things so that in order to bring about a society in which more people can be happy or something. And so you have different ways of framing that and often comes down to some sort of utilitarian argument that, well, it'll make a hundred people happy if you do this, and it'll only make one or two people sad if you do that. So let's do the thing that'll make a hundred people happy, right? That's great. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And we've been trained to sort of accept that almost as a default to the point where, yes, we risk really losing the fundamental principles and even what, why, why do we need fundamental principles that cannot be compromised and should not be compromised? Do they exist and what are they and how do we know them? And these of course have been the central tenets of moral philosophy, ethical philosophy for millennia. This is the type of thing that people have talked about and, and written about what is the good life and how do we live it and what sorts of principles do we live by in order to achieve that? And are we doing that in order to achieve that? Or do we get a good life because we are living by principles? And 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 what if we have to compromise our principles? When and how do we do that and why? And and these types of questions have been wrestled with and tangled with for millennia. But now it, it almost fe- feels like for the average person, it's just by default, ah, whatever. I mean, it'll make more people happy. Look. We could just go out and confiscate the wealth of the the top ten percent and give it to the bottom ninety percent, and everyone will be happier. Um, and those <laughs> types of things. Oh, well, it seems on a first glance. Well, that seems logical. Shouldn't we do that? I don't know. Why not? But unless we have those those baseline considerations that you're talking about there, Andrew, what is the value of a human life? Where what do we have rights? What are our rights, and where do they come from? How are they enforced? How can they be taken away? And what do we do when that is happening? And would you compromise what you believe to be a fundamental right in order to achieve? This temporary goal, was there things in the Declaration of Independence that, you know, we are free human beings, except in, in, if there's a virus going around, in which case all bets are off the table. <laughs> uh, I don't remember that language in there. Maybe people can no. point it out to me. But no. if not, then why not? Maybe we should have that language in there. At any rate, I would just like that to be a conscious consideration that people are making. If people come to a different ethical philosophy than I do, then that, you know, I'm, I'm prepared to allow that <laughs> to happen. But I at least want people to to make that conscious and to think about these things and really question why we are being told certain things and why we go along with them. And so um, bioethics and the new eugenics was my one of the ways that I was trying to bring that up specifically in the context of what's going on right now, because bioethicists right. are increasingly Uh, taking over our lives and telling us what we can or cannot do or should or should not do or must or must not do in this time of crisis. And that is especially scary when you start looking into the, you know, post-birth abortions and other things that they're, they're literally arguing for in their papers because, well, whatever, what's, what's the value of a human life? It's, it's really just a question of happiness, isn't it? Happiness for the for the parents, I guess, or for the family or for society. I mean, what, where'd we draw that line? Um, another thing that I'll direct people to is an article I wrote recently called They Know What You Are. Now They're Haggling Over the Price, which, again, I think tries mm-hmm. to come to this 
fundamental question about our fundamental principles and what are they. And it revolves, it, it opens with, uh, it's an old joke. Sometimes people say it was Winston Churchill. Sometimes people say it was Mark Twain. So it's been attributed to a bunch of people. Um, uh, there's no proof that it actually happened. But anyway, right. the joke is that there's this wealthy man talking to a famous actress and he asks her if she would sleep with a stranger for a million dollars. And she says, yes. And then he inquires if she'd do the same for $5. And she's She's offended. Five dollars. What kind of woman do you think I am? And he says, well, we've already established that. Now we're just haggling over the price. And um, I know that 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 joke triggers certain people because uh, whatever, all sorts of moral considerations and whatever. But the point of that joke is if if she is offended by the consideration that she is a prostitute for for her action, well, then she should consider, well, if all you're doing is saying there's a certain line over which I will do that. And mm -hmm. uh, that's your own moral consideration, whatever, you know, you come to terms with that and, and what that is. But that that does mean that you will prostitute yourself for the right price. Right. So right. It, that is the question. Will you prostitute yourself for the right price, whether that comes to whatever, taking the vaccine or whatever it is? I mean, there's a million ways we can frame that. But unfortunately, again, most people just go along to get along, don't think about these things, and will just kind of by default fall into this consequentialist ethical philosophy that is being used, I think, to engineer humanity in a certain direction. And and we get we get sucked into arguing it on their terms, right? Where it's like, well... You know, masks don't work, or mm. uh, vaccines yes. are are risky yes. and do more harm than good. It's like, well, all the, you know, I I'm into all those arguments. I'm absolutely yeah. guilty of going into the exact same arguments. Yeah. But the larger point is, you have no right to tell me whether to wear a mask or not. Right. And exactly. you have no yeah. that's no right to, yeah. to tell exactly me to take right. a and vaccine. And that's that's a point I've really tried to stress a couple of times. I did a, a walk and talk about um, what no one is saying about the Corona crisis way back, I think, in April of last year or late March, in which I said, yeah, this isn't about this isn't about this particular virus and you know the the mechanics of it. It is about the principle that they are trying to bring in. If there is an infectious contagion going around, then you are obligated to shut yourself in the home and do whatever they say. Or do you think you have the fundamental right to go out and and other people, of course, have the fundamental right to protect themselves in whatever way they feel fit? They can lock themselves in a hermetically sealed bubble and never come out for the rest of their natural lives, which probably won't be long if it's truly hermetically sealed. But anyway, <laughs> you can do whatever you want to protect yourself, but you cannot force other people to do things in order to protect right. you or your perceived th the, from a perceived threat. That is the fundamental question. And yes, I agree. You know, of course, we should talk about masks and are they effective and all of that. But that isn't the fundamental point. But that's mm -hmm. the point that, that we're being fed, right? Instead of like, like you guys were just talking about the instead of the moral implications and the bigger questions of what is the value of a human life? Where does the human life start? What is the value of the herd immunity and things like this that you are thinking about? Andrew's thinking about I'm thinking about there are people out there who are thinking about it. There's not enough. And on top of that, what they've done is they've dumbed down that conversation all the way to the point of you have to wear a mask, you have to get the vaccine, but also, you know, having arguments over gender. Should a, a person <laughs> whose gender gender reassigned be going into sports? Should they be able to use this bathroom? Should there be public uh, money allocated to this so that a gender neutral bathroom? And it's like they've taken this 
thought process or, you know, something that we should as humans, you know, in, in the world be considering all the time and dumbed it down to such a base level. It becomes like a screaming match. Like, of course, the man can use the bathroom if he identifies as a woman. You're a transphobe if you don't want that. And it it, be, it becomes this own kind of false dichotomy of, you know, good versus, you know, the most good. <laughs> and instead of us actually talking about, like, what matters in in. If you're, you know, if you're scared and you don't want to go out and you think that masks are the only way, well, that's that's fine. Then don't go out, or if you do, wear a mask. But that the I, you know, I, the whole I think two things. One, they used the two weeks to flatten the curve, and two, the other one was the uh, the idea that uh, there's an as not asymmetric spread, but asymptomatic spread. Those two things scared a huge portion of the population into not questioning anything. And not only are they not asking those bigger questions, they're dumbed all the way down. I don't want to say dumbed down, but they're literally just on to the one mask versus no mask versus two masks. Like <laughs> that's the only that's the only debate they're willing to have. Not, you know, if like you guys are talking about the Declaration of Independence, could you imagine? Okay, just just I think about this from on occasion. Could you imagine Thomas Jefferson like shows up and is standing next to you, and you have to explain to him that yeah. All of a sudden, one day, some people in Washington were like, you can't do anything. And we all had to be like, okay, and sit in our house. You'd be like, no, I've picked up guns for tax issues. Like, this is nuts. (laughs) This is, I am not staying in my house. You can't tell my whole family that they can't go anywhere. And and you're right to point out that it's the way they frame these arguments to keep it within that controlled paradigm. Because I, I, I don't even, I mean, let's put it this way. If I was convinced that there was this deadly contagious thing that was going around that I could help prevent by wearing a mask, I might choose to make that decision. Right. I might not, but I might. I might choose to go around everywhere with a mask, and I want the right, the ability to do that. Um, and the, the the sort of implication, the hidden implication of, of what's being said right now is that, well, what if the WHO or the CDC or someone came out and said, you can't wear a mask. You, sh- you absolutely, you must not wear a mask, and we'll throw you in jail for wearing a mask. But I want to wear a mask. The point is that I have the right, the ability to take right. whatever precautions I deem necessary in whatever way I, I deem is necessary, as do you. And that is the fundamental principle upon which I'm acting and which I think makes a valid basis for real human society, because otherwise we get put in a position where everyone has to follow the dictates of this central authority that cannot be questioned. And oh, by the way, if you try to question it, we'll kick you off of every, you know, social media platform and whatever. And again, the point of that isn't to say, oh, please let me on your controlled social media platform. It is to say that, again, they are trying to set the terms of the debate so that we cannot have the real debate about what the fundamental principle is. Yeah, and (laughs) um, that reminds me, you know, of the method that I think I think it was the uh, global warming thing where they first um, really went with this attack and they've just used it for everything since then. But the, the science is settled and there aren't, there's not both sides to an art, an argument. um, And you don't have to give equal time because it's the, the science is settled and everything else is misinformation. And that, that has morphed all the way to, um, Okay, well, you you might be a doctor, but you're not allowed to have an opinion different than the <laughs> yeah, WHO and express that on on YouTube. Morphed all the way to the point of people who have expertise in the subject 
getting together and be like, hey, some of this stuff doesn't seem to make sense. We should try this way. Nope. That's it. Yeah. No more YouTube. You have medical people, uh, you know, getting their licenses taken away, drug companies coming after them because now the experts aren't, those aren't the right experts. James mm-hmm. always talked about, and I think brought up a, a, this term long ago in one of his podcasts you did, James, um, that I've, has always stuck in my head, and that's the priest class. You go in and you sit down and the guy in the, the white coat comes out and he's part of the priest class and he gets to tell you what you need to do or don't need to do. But even on a bigger level, of course, the priest class is, of course, the people who can't be questioned. Because, you know, what, in ancient Egypt, they would come out, you know, they would have foreknowledge of an eclipse and say, if we don't do this, then God's going to blot out the sun today. And then, of course, the sun got blotted out. Oh, my gosh, we can't question them. But now we have the same thing. But they're on television and they're propagandized or they're using propaganda to tell everyone else what to do. And there are it. Yeah. Anyway, priest class. That's my thought. Yeah. And and I've I've made that point specifically in a lot of my climate change uh, research and work over the years is that it that isn't I really don't think that that's an analogy. I really think there's something to it. There is genuinely something they're yes. trying to tap yes. into that sort of supernatural and religious yes. um, uh, impulse that people, I think, naturally have. They're trying to tap into that and and give them the the fake priest class that will tell them how to appease the weather gods, etc. I really think that that's an actual part of the psychology of what's playing out. If but yes, yeah, so like of course, that transfers into scientism of all sorts. And I think you're right. It is now a much wider phenomenon. And it has, of course, become part of the left-right political uh, paradigm as well now so that if you're on the left you trust the science and it's it's so funny it's all again it's all about framing and how you frame it if you were to bring up with someone who claims to be on the left about well corporations are only motivated by greed and profit and they're evil fundamentally and all, and they shouldn't exist and all of this and they'd probably be all on board with it until you start saying and so the vaccine manufacturers are clearly playing us like fools trying to m- ensure their healthy markets for their for their product right? No, you anti-science denying right winger. Uh, Again, it gets caught up in those kinds of debates. They've controlled the conversation in every possible way so that it's extremely hard to even get to the actual conversation. A hundred percent. I actually met, I can, I can give a perfect example of that. I met with an old friend that I hadn't seen in months and we were in the car together and he was wearing a mask. And so I was like, do I have to wear a mask? And I, so I just kind of said, Hey, what's up with the mask? He's like, do you not want to wear one? I was like, no, I don't want to wear one. And he said, okay, well, I'll take mine off. And I said, and I was just like, okay, what's going to happen next? Because it was just this weird moment. And he just says, so, yeah, I mean, I just wear masks for other people's comfort because, you know, I'm, I'm not sick, but I know that other people could get sick. And so I just, it doesn't really do anything. I just wear it for other people's comfort so that they feel better. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I definitely don't do that. And he goes, well, I don't know if you're a Democrat or Republican or who you voted for, but I voted for uh, tr- Trump in I think that, you know, some of this stuff is real because there are people that are dying. But then I also think that it's not real because it's a little bit overblown. And I just looked at him and I was like, hey, can we just stop and like marvel at what, what was just happened? Like we actually <laughs> just tied on to and, I, and he started laughing. I was like, dude, you told me you weren't going to wear you only wore a mask because other people were going to be comfort comforted by that. Hey, that's cool. I understand what you're doing there. But then you had to go tell me what political affiliation you were part of in order to tell me about what you thought 
about the supposed pandemic. I was like, that is insane. And he just started laughing. He's like, it is insane, isn't it? It's like, we've all built up these constructs. And it's like, well, if they're not wearing a mask, they're probably some Republican who voted for Trump and believes in guns and doesn't believe in science. Or if they are wearing a mask, they're a good little citizen and they're doing the right thing. And they do believe in, in helping the greater good. It's like, how did how did we get here? It's in, It's a kind of insane. Yeah, and that's uh, actually another thing I wanted to to bring up with James. The it feels like politics has taken over everything in the U.S., yeah. and I'm curious as to um, what that's like in Japan and other parts of the world. Because it one thing that surprised me when I went to Korea is that people actually cared about the U S presidential election. And I was kind of like, well, why is that the first question you're asking me is who I'm voting for Obama or McCain? Like who, you know, what do you care? But it's, it's kind of like this worldwide uh, reality, reality show, show of U S politics. And it, it is sick and it's, it's really sick here in the U S but. Yeah, well, uh, I guess in a sense, that's a good thing about being a, uh, a, a, a should I use the dirty word, anarchist, a non-statist <laughs> in a country like Japan, is that the Japanese people have found a way to essentially remove politics from polite conversation, <laughs> but mm. not really in a not not in a good way, I guess. Um, it's just that there is there is essentially one ruling party here in the Japanese parliament. Um, it is the habitual ruling party that's been in power almost the entirety of the post-war era. Um, and that party, essentially, it's just a question of who who is going to be the leader of that party will be the prime minister of Japan, essentially. There's really no, there's no talk about anything different, except for a brief period. Um, I, I believe it was pre-Fukushima, wasn't it? Um, there was a brief period where the opposition party, the perpetual opposition party, actually got into power for like a year or a year and a half, two years, something like that, um, but eventually fell apart and went back to the traditional ruling party. And so everyone can breathe the sigh of relief and not really have to discuss the partisan politics aspect of anything. It's just a question of whether this particular leader of the party is doing a good job or not. And so in a sense, yeah, I, I mean, the polarization that clearly exists in the US and which I see when I look back in my home Canada, uh, there's clearly a lot of uh, polarization that's taken place even since the in the 17 years I've been absent. But that that doesn't exist at, here in Japan. There are, unfortunately, I mean, it's not like this is some sort of stateless paradise, quite the opposite, obviously. This is a, a country that, um, uh, you know, it was actually, uh, <laughs> credit where credit's due, I seem to recall like way back in 2007, maybe 2007, 2008, when I first called into the Alex Jones show, like when I, I, it must've been 2007. It was when the website was brand new. And I remember talking to him a little bit and, and he asked me, Oh, you know, how, what, what's it like there in Japan? And I said something like, well, I love my Japanese uh, friends here, but uh, you know, questioning authority is not something the Japanese are known for. And he, he said, yeah, it's the Imperial conditioning that the Japanese have been under for, for millennia. And he, and, and, and that rung a bell that, that really struck a chord. At this point, there are some crazies, some fringe crazies who genuinely believe that the emperor is the, the a god, you know, and all of that kind of nonsense. But most people, I mean, I think are quite, they don't even know or care that much about the, the royal family here. But that, that imperial conditioning, that there is this mm -hmm. just this inherent order to society and there are people who will rule and there are the ruled. And that, I think, is deep within the Japanese society in a way that's 
probably well it's unlikely to change anytime soon um that's kind of just the way the order is and and that you can see that from the say the pre-world war ii to post-world war ii transition era where pre-world war ii was explicitly imperial the imperial japanese government and the imperial army and all of that and then you know after the war and everything changes over and they have the new constitution and everything now it's it's not an imperial system there is still the this, there is the emperor, but it, it, it's more of a figurehead position now. But all of the same, like all of the same old um, feudal lords, essentially the old, um, not samurai, the shoguns and all of that, those those families that tended to rule over patches of Japan, they just became the big corporations like Mitsubishi mm. and all of this. These yeah. are just family corporations that essentially were the old rulers that have just become corporations that essentially oh. rule in the new system, just economically speaking. So. So it's, you know, it's not a happy state of affairs, but at the very least, you don't have that kind of ridiculous partisan squabbling over everything that has really infected, at least what I can see from a distance. No, no, it it is absolutely real. I mean, and it is definitely a change from the way it used to be. I mean, there used to be the kind of the it, it wasn't even really a joke. It's like you don't talk about politics or religion, right? And uh, and you could realistically see a, a man who was a Republican and a woman who was a Democrat getting married and raising a family and being okay. And now it's like you're not even allowed to, you know, if if you're a conservative at the wrong company, you'd better keep your mouth shut or you you're get they're going to get rid of you you know it's uh it's gotten to the the point much less you know make friends with someone of a, a different political perspective what that's crazy you know and this is it's really sad because no one cares less about people than politicians i mean they and yet people have decided this is what i'm going to wrap my self-worth into is um the the political teams it's the yeah i i actually i just got an email this morning from someone who said um uh uh, they heard about what was happening with patreon and they were sorry about that so they were going to support me over uh via paypal and they said um they they specifically said i'm actually i'm a communist not a libertarian but you are one of the few people who cites their sources and i i know is trustworthy you you really believe what you're saying and what you're doing and so i want to support that Uh, there are very few people like that out there and i i mean i i that that feedback was so good to hear because how many times, like even in my position where I'm getting feedback every day, hundreds of emails, thousands of comments, I'm getting feedback all the time, but it is almost always from a very, you know, partisan perspective, at least in you know, even philosophical partisanship, like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm a libertarian and you have those inclinations, so I'll support you. Um, or, uh, you know, I'm a communist, but you're a libertarian, so I hate you. I, I, it's always from that perspective. It's so seldom that you see someone saying, you know, I, I, I disagree with you, but I respect what you're doing. That is so good to hear that that still exists. And it shouldn't yeah. be. It should not be in that state where that's such a weird thing to do. <laughs> yeah. It, and um, well, and that's, you know, and you've been doing that since day one, the alternative media. And I'll, I'll say you know, more in alternative media um, than in mainstream media, 
but unfortunately I, I have seen more and more people go away from kind of your method of like, here's, here's where I'm getting this information, you know, check it out for yourself. Here's the documentable reasons that I'm, I'm presenting things this way. Uh, go ahead and do your own research. And there's on the alternative media side. Now there's just this, uh, Hey, there's tune in, this, this, tune in this secret Friday source, we... <laughs> you know, and we, we talked about it with the Q and thing and what have you, but there's, um, just the idea of the secret government source. And it's the alternative media version of the New York times where they're like the uh, anonymous yeah. administration source yeah. says X, Y, Z, and they just yeah. put out the, the talking points that are supposed to be out there. So, um, I guess. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It can, I've never really th- explicitly thought about that, but really QAnon, the fundamental message of QAnon was absolutely 100% antithetical to what I, I, what I do and what I believe and what I, I try to model, which is, mm-hmm. you know, here's my sources. Here's where I get the information. The entire the QAnon boils down to trust the plan, yeah. trust the plan <laughs> and future proves past and all this stuff. Like we, we're not going to say we're, just trust. There are people with this knowledge that are, giving it to you for some reason on the internet anonymously and just just trust it <laughs> yeah i remember i turned somebody onto your website uh the corporate report of course and uh they they actually came back and said yeah i don't believe this guy's didn't this guy's disinfo i don't believe it i was like okay why and he's uh sources are too good though he sources too much stuff There's, he doesn't know <laughs> And I was like, wait, what? And he goes, no, 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 it's, it's insane. There's, there's no way it's, there's one person doing that. That's the government operation. Somebody else is sorting all this stuff. And I'm just like, I thought to myself, like, you know what? That, I, that is not an uncommon criticism. I, oh. I, I have found my greatest critics generally say, there's no way you do this yourself. You couldn't possibly do it. And I, I get it. I mean, incredulity, whatever. You don't know. You, and even you and Andrew, you guys don't know. But I know. I know I do this work myself. I know it is possible so it's to hear that it is truly the greatest compliment i can receive yeah well, and it's, it's it's funny too it's like hey just because you can't do it or won't do it or don't have the ability to do it or don't have an interest in doing it doesn't mean there's somebody out there there isn't somebody out there who can do it it's quite possible there's another human being on the planet who can do this thing that you say that it takes a government to or a, a government agency but, to, to to run yeah but i i, I, yeah. I guess it it, it just kind of saddens me that people you know they can have some great sources and really in-depth information and if they hear something that's in the kind of same vein like same flavor but it's from a secret source or it's kind of you know mystical in some way that's what they'll spread all around oh exactly right yep Absolutely. And in fact, I was, I, uh, again, I'll let you in on a little secret. I was, I, I'm working on a, a podcast um, that I'm um, hopefully next week. Anyway, we'll, we'll see well, um, that essentially is going to play on that. Um, I'm, I'm going to pretend to have the secret plan for the Biden administration. It's super <laughs> secret guys. And actually, oh, it's, it's completely openly available information, but I, I lured you in by telling you it's a big secret. Ha <laughs> ha. Mm-hmm. And that, because people are so drawn to that. If it's not some sort of secret classified, trust some anonymous source that they're, they're not interested. It's, it's, it's just a game. It's just entertainment for these people. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, if, if you read, 
stuff on propaganda, you know, Elul and even Bernays, they they talk about how the group of people that you have to get on board is not the they they're not most uh, worried about propagandizing the common man. It's the influencers, and it's the, so it's the journalists, it's it's the people in government, you know, like. 1984, the the party is the most propagandized group um, that you have to control, and then they they control everyone else, everyone that that listens to them, and <laughs> you know it's it's just kind of sick how how well that works, I guess. <laughs> so we we touched on this before the show started, and uh, I wanted to to kind of link back to it, and also James just kind of mentioned being suspended from Patreon, so it was coming. You're suspended from Patreon. It's it's all done. No more. Not going to do this. And then YouTube. At this moment, James, you still have a YouTube channel, or at this moment, as we're recording this, yes, but that could change any time. I have received two strikes for COVID misinformation which um, generally they will just take down the video and they will say there was misinformation in it that goes against WHO guidelines. They don't say specifically what or anything like that, but they say, now you have a strike. Um, I've had several videos taken down and two strikes. And uh, so the last strike uh, meant that I was unable to post or do anything to my account for two weeks. The third strike means they will take it down for good. And so uh, a lot of people are saying that I should preserve the channel and just not post there or blah, blah, blah. But that is not what I'm going to do. I'm going to continue posting my information absolutely as usual. I'm not going to self-censor in any way. And if YouTube is going to take down my channel as a result of that, I think that reflects on YouTube. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think I actually admire you and Andrew both in that respect. But you guys are both, even though I am as well, but I think you guys are even more... I'm just going to do what's right and let the chips fall where they may. And I just, I really respect that approach. Um, before we got on the call, though, we did talk about subscribing to the newsletter. Uh, my wife kind of turned me on to this. I know it's going to sound crazy. Of course, there's a corporate support subscriber newsletter. Everybody should go and subscribe to it. But more and more different channels are getting worried about getting deleted from YouTube, getting deleted from Twitter, getting deleted from. And so RSS and just subscribing to newsletters is a kind of a cool way to go where you get the immediate notification. Hey, James put up something today. Let's go check it out. Let's see what it is or, you know, stuff like that. So I encourage people to, you know, subscribe to the subscriber newsletter at CorbettReport.com as a way to be able to get a hold of his stuff and, of course, get off of the YouTube and all the other stuff. Um, and then continue to support him however you can. Andrew, I know you wanted to talk briefly about Satoshis and Podcasting 2.0. James, have you heard about this? Satoshis and... <laughs> no, uh, I've heard of Podcasting 2.0. That's Adam Curry, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, well, and so there's stuff spinning off of that. So there's there's Adam Curry is, I think, kind of the face of it because he was involved in the original podcasting stuff but there's people working on um you know podcastindex.org which is kind of an alternative to the um apple podcast index basically, which basically apple library yeah yeah um so with the idea of it's gonna be you're not gonna be able to get kicked off of it and and one thing i thought was interesting and i don't know let's see if i can properly pull this up and then put it in our our what, chat there is but it podcastindex.org is where all the podcasts are listed i think yeah report is listed there 
Oh, it, it better be. Yeah, you got to have the good ones there. You got checked. Uh, but uh, there's kind of there's stuff spinning off of it that people are developing. One of them is podcasterwallet.com, where you can um, support the podcast you're listening to with cryptocurrency at a rate that you determine, you know, anywhere from zero to whatever you want. Um that then goes to to the podcaster. It, I think a couple percentage gets uh, taken for processing, but it's not it's not going through a central authority that can um, choose to deplatform you or choose to say, "Oh, you are inconvenient for our um, advertisers," or you're you're disliked by our loudest uh, email writers, so therefore you're just not going to be on the platform. You're you're not worth it. So just the kind of peer-to-peer um, both support and infrastructure where it's it's much less uh, susceptible to the what what's happening to you with with YouTube and and Patreon. So was, I, yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm all on board with the idea, but the devil's always in the details. Like people tell me to get on the brave attention token thing bat so that people can essentially give me crypto just by surfing my website and it sounds like a great idea until you go to sign the la- I don't know, it's been a couple of years since I tried, but when I s- tried to sign up for it before, you have to download their special wallet to get their special coin and then their special wallet is KYC, so you have to give them your name and address and telephone number and blood sample and next of kin and <laughs> whatever. I'm like, yeah. nope, absolutely not. Not going to do that. So when you have an actual decentralized crypto that I don't have to give all my personal identity in order to get on board, then yes, but if I have to do that, and I get why people do that because otherwise the you know the feds will be coming down on them but yeah absolutely and and i think it's um you know what's your take on i guess the the supposed alternative platforms are you more suspicious of of some than than others <laughs> are there any that yeah, well, uh, look, the answer to uh, the what's happening with regards to the censorship on these centralized controlled um, platforms is not to go into another centralized controlled yeah, platform. But don't worry, guys, the good guys control this one. Yeah, <laughs> I right. mean, uh, I so, think we've so seen not we, parlor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've seen how that plays out, even if intentions were good. Um, let alone, can you imagine if people had ill intentions? So the the real answer is going to be fundamentally different architecture. It is going to be true decentralization. Um, we're not there yet. And most people, I, I think, are not even beginning to wrap their heads around what that means or how that looks. But the, I, I, hopefully we can lead people along in the right direction. And hopefully we can get to the point where it truly will be uh that 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 idea that you're talking about there, like supporting someone through some sort of, you know, in, instant coin payment that doesn't go through any central bank or any any actor that can censor it. That that is the idea for the future. We can have uncensorable domains. We can have things that are hosted on IPFS, so there's no central server to take them down. We can start building that up, but people that will never work unless people are motivated to do it, and they'll never be motivated to do it unless they understand why they need that. 
And so in a sense, I mean, I don't know if you want to if you wanted to look at it from some sort of problem reaction solution perspective, then, hey, it's a great thing that all this wave of censorship is taking place. So at least people know, oh, yeah, we are in the Library of Alexandria and it is on fire. Oh, well, maybe we should do something about that. And hopefully people will start to think about the deeper meaning of this and what how it is acting and how they can counteract that. Because if we don't, again, if we just stumble into the next controlled paradigm and the next controlled paradigm. You know, in times past, I would say, well, eventually people will start to, you know, wake up and they'll they'll see through this. But we don't have that kind of, you know, generational span of time before things start getting really, really bad in nightmarish ways to the point where we will look back on 2021 as the good old days. Remember when we just had to put on a mask to go out instead of, you know, whatever else is coming. So, um, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah don't, let's don't use give this time ideas. now to think more, <laughs> think smarter, not harder about how to get around what, what censorship is, how it takes place and how we actually, actually counteract it. Yeah. When everybody was talking about go to parlor, you know, go to telegram, go to this social media, go to that social media. It's like, I think you might be missing the point. <laughs> the yeah. point is not to leave and go to another one, but have you heard of Mastodon? Yeah, I have. I'm not on okay. it, but maybe okay. I should be. I, I I don't want to be on social media at all, to be honest. No, I yeah. no, I totally. <laughs> but I get I, I to, yeah, the idea. I totally understand that, and I agree. But Mastodon is it, it's a, but here's a different one. Are you ready for the pitch? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it is interesting though, in yeah. that it's a it's a it you create your own social network. The so you could, the, yeah, in yeah, fact, you could, it's not just Mastodon. There's lots of different affiliated ones right. that you can kind of. You know, there's different yeah, flavors of it and is, you get to set it up and you control the permissions and all of that. So, yes, that's that's more of the vision, I think. Yeah. And you, I mean, theoretically, you could set up for just like, you know, everybody wants to get on Facebook because that's where their grandma can see what the kids are doing. You could actually just make like a family Mastodon and everybody could just log on and see what's going on with the family there. But anyway, it is it is an idea for a solution. Um, anything else that we need to cover, James? I know that uh, we had kind of a hard stop coming up, so yeah, uh, yeah, I got to get going. But uh, uh, let me just clarify because um, even my subscribers have problems with this. I, I should clarify that uh, you mentioned earlier the subscriber newsletter. Uh, some people sometimes people get confused. There is a free email update service. Oh, I'm you sorry. don't have to. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to be uh, a subscriber. Like, you don't have to be a paying member of the website for the free email update. Uh, that's on the sidebar. I think it is functioning now. I've been having some problems with it. I'm trying to. I Got, them out. So I just subscribed two days ago and I got I got notified in my email inbox. Good. I'm, I, I'm already subscribed to most of your feeds. So awesome. I find right. it usually that way, but it actually did come through recently. So. Right. So I just want to clarify they uh, if you want the daily email update, you can sign up on the sidebar or you can go to follow.it slash the hyphen Corbett's hyphen report, I think is the actual link. But anyway, um, that's how you get the uh, the daily email update. If you want the subscriber newsletter, which is really just my subscriber editorial, which, by the way, is always up for free anyway. Usually I post it to minds.com. But anyway, um, it's it, you don't have to pay in order to receive that. Um, so essentially you're paying for a recommended listening, viewing, and reading every week. And sometimes I even throw in a link to Revelations Radio News because you guys do good work. And... Um, and uh, you can comment on the website. Those are the only things you get. Essentially, paying me is really only if you support the work. That's that's what it's about. It's not for super secret access to any sort of special group or anything. So if you're interested in just receiving updates, just sign up for that free email update or use the RSS feeds. As I've been stressing lately, it kind of boggles my mind that people don't know about RSS or you don't need a podcast index, really. You can just actually subscribe directly to, to RSS feeds on people's sites if they know. Yeah. Know about and maintain RSS feeds. I think that's uh, 
we should renormalize that because we had to be denormalized from RSS being the standard 10, 15 years ago to being what's RSS at this right. point? That's that's a crying shame. That was yeah. and then that, that, that really reared its ugly head when Alex Jones got deplatformed or whatever. He was taken out of the Apple podcast index. And I, like I legit like literally went to the website, copied the RSS feed. Added it to the same app that I listen to all my podcasts on, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> done. Yeah, exactly. What? Yeah, it, it, there, it don't wasn't need any Apple all. store of any sort. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. wasn't needed at all. Any uh, any uh, last thought? How about some words of wisdom from Andrew Hoffman for to wrap this show up? Yes. No, no. Yes, no. I wait for this. I live for this. Come no, on. No, no. This. Yes. Is... Yes. Oh, I really should have. I. I, I Prepared questions. I should get they're, credit for that. I, but I, once again, I always better forget off my words of wisdom. Yeah. Better off the cuff. Come on. You got to do it. Oh. I, I've got you know. some. I've got some. Yes, right. please. Fair enough. This is my words of wisdom. You're not speaking gibberish. You're inventing a new language. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Which apparently you can make a whole career out of. Exactly. <laughs> you can become a legend. Go for it. Well, as always, absolute pleasure to speak with you, James. It's like talking to an old friend. I always look forward to it and uh, keep up the awesome work. Everybody, if you don't know who James Corbett is, then shame on you. If you do, go to CorbettReport.com. Please support his work. Don't do it through Patreon. Do it for through whatever subscription payments methods are available there. Subscribe. Pay for the subscriber-only newsletter. Do all those things. It is an, a... Uh, I don't want to say infinite, but a very large source of all kinds of really cool podcasts and information in, um, you know, Danny Castellaro, Requiem for the Suicided, some of those, you know, uh, Promise Software, some of these huge things that kind of really formed our worldview on this show came from, you know, the Corbett Report. So I do uh, inquire or inquire. Uh, just We were required you were require you to <laughs> go to my website. What am I saying? Try you to are literally encouraged. To oh gosh. Okay, just try to <laughs> let, encourage no, let them. Me, let me throw to go. let me throw some love back at you guys in oh, case okay. there's anyone in my audience who uh, is unfamiliar with your work. I hope they will check it out. Not only is it, I think, a great wrap up of, of what's popping in the news with some nice, dry, sarcastic wit and funny observations that I appreciate, but also what other alternative media podcasts can you tune tune into week after week, except for those months and months or years in which you're not <laughs> podcasting, and find out about the daily weather updates in the Pacific Northwest. Very few, <laughs> dare say. Don't forget sports. <laughs> Although we are, the, the coronavirus got us all the way off of sports, so it's just all weather all the time. No. <laughs> well, thank you for that ringing endorsement. We will try to continue to do podcasts, and uh, it's been fun to get back together with uh, Andrew, and especially with you, and just, just keep going. So let's all keep working hard at this and just ask that people would support us, especially James, um, in this upcoming time where stuff's getting taken down. Go check out the videos that are on you know, YouTube, but don't just go to YouTube. Go to CorbettReport.com. Go to all the other spots where you can get that stuff. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. A copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at RevelationsRadioNews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit RevelationsRadioNews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com and thank you for your support of this podcast. Don't-
Don't you say Where are 